The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus. But the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them he addressed this parable. What man among you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them will not leave the ninety-nine in the desert and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he does find it, He sets it on his shoulders with great joy, and upon his arrival home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in just the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who have no need of repentance. Or, what woman having ten coins and losing one, would not light a lamp and sweep the house, searching carefully until she finds it. And when she does find it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me because I have found the coin that I lost. In just the same way, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then he said, A man had two sons. And the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country, where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens, who set him to his farm to tend the swine. And he longed to eat his fill of the paws on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat? But here I am, dying from hunger. I shall set up, get up, and go to my father, and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants, Quickly, bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fattened calf and slaughter it. Then, let us celebrate with the feast, 
because the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. Now, the older son had been out in the fields and on his way back, he, he neared the house. He heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this might mean. The servant said to him, Your brother has returned, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf, because he has him back safe and sound. He became angry, and when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him. He said to his father in reply, Look, all these years I served you, and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returns, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes, for him you slaughter the fattened calf, he said to him, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus Good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you for Holly. She's, uh, she's in the back singing, playing the harp there. Holly, it's going to be hard to rack your pitch. You're, you're, you're super high. I'm trying, but uh, you're high pitch, so, so we'll, 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 we'll get it better. Jerry, we're trying to match that high pitch. So I hope we can do it. And that Gloria, by the way, it's the same Gloria we sang for the last two Sundays, a new Gloria, so that's why there's some unease in us. But as we, as we get to know the Gloria better, I think the glory will be magnificent over time. So keep practicing. Even if you sound horrible, just, just go for it. Uh, just risk it. So uh, as you know, only through practice we get better. So we'll keep doing it. Uh, and before we dive in, and it's kind of related to the homily, you notice, uh, remember Chris and, and Chrissy Renteria, they celebrated the 29th wedding anniversary last Sunday. Right now they're both gallivanting in Oregon. Because every year, they on the anniversary they go off and they ditch their family, and uh, which is a beautiful thing, by the way, I think. Not ditching your family, but but taking a break from your family, because we drive each other crazy, don't we? We all do that, and so I think it's a healthy thing that, that they have a tradition that they on their anniversary they get away, because again it's healthy, and so keep doing that, especially married couples. Take breaks for yourselves, even as priests, by the way. In, in church law, I have to take a retreat every year, a silent retreat. Why? Because you drive me crazy. <laughs> and, I, and, and I drive you crazy. And so you need a break from each other. So it's a healthy human thing. So it's a... Uh, praise the Lord. <laughs> but let's dive into these readings, huh? Let's pray. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So these past couple of weeks... I've been trying to argue something. There's been a theme in the homilies. It's not random. I've been trying to build up to something. <laughs> All right. And it's this. 
Our deepest happiness is found only in love. That's what I've been arguing, arguing, and I'm trying to build up to that single point. Our deepest happiness is only found in a loving relationship. Not in things. Not in pleasure. Not in power. Not in your job title. Not in the pleasures of this world, which again are amazing, amazing things. I'm I'm not downgrading that. We need those things. But oftentimes what happens is that we sacrifice these, just to achieve, try to get more and more and more, we sacrifice our relationships to get that. (laughs) But at the end of the day, it's a a lie because it fails to deliver what it promises, happiness. Again, all of the studies show this, right? All of the studies show this. At the end of the day, the quality and how we judge our lives is ultimately our relationships. Nobody on their deathbed will say, man, I have four bedrooms in my house, right? You know how fast my car goes? You know how big my truck is? Nobody says that at the end. I always hear all the time, when I hear of people on their deathbeds and they speak of their regrets, it's always this. It's always relationship. I wish I spent more time with my spouse with my children, with my parents. It's always, it's always the quality of one's relationship. I said, I want to build that up because I want to, I want to tear down that lie that we're, that we're ingrained with from a very young age. Again, you ask, you ask young people what they're told that to achieve happiness, and they'll tell you popularity, pleasure, power, money. Lies. And to hammer home on that point, Think about the person you miss the most. I mean, we all in here have lost someone. All of us have. That's one of the hard things about getting older, in fact, isn't it? Is that our loved ones die. And so I, wanna, I want you to think of the person you miss the most. What would you do to have them back? Say, for a year. Say, you have to do one thing and you get your loved one back. What would you do? I bet you would do some crazy things, wouldn't you? You know, after Mass last night, one of our parishioners comes up to me after Mass in tears. And he started saying, five minutes. Five minutes, Father. And at first I didn't, it didn't quite click. I was like, what, what are you talking about <laughs> Because even I forget my own homily after a few minutes. You know. so, so what are you talking about? He says, Father, not one year, five minutes. Then it finally clicked. Oh. He was talking about his mom. Here's a grown man in his 70s saying, Father, I would give anything to have five minutes with my mom again. Relationship. And my mom shared with me one time, when she was younger, she lost the baby. Way before my sister and I. Lost the baby somehow. I don't quite know the details. I think about that sibling, the mysterious sibling. i trade in my car if I can get to know him. I would. I love Jeeps, by the way. I don't even know that, but I give, I give it away if I, if I can spend a couple years 
Because a car is stupid at the end of the day, right? It's just a car. But it's relationship, ultimately. What would it be to deepen a, a, a relationship? Be beautiful, I think. Quality of one's life. And I think that's the interpretive key we need in order to unlock the richness of Christianity, by the way. I think only when we penetrate the depths of that, of that key, that it is only in a, in a loving relationship does one life mean anything. Once we understand that, then Christianity begins to, to unfold and begins to make sense. Look at the readings today in the Gospels, from the Gospel of Luke, and why I decided to read the long version. I could have read a shorter version, by the way. But I wanted to read the long one because this is, it illustrates this profound mystery. So Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And the people around them are upset. Jesus, why are you hanging around them? We hate them. We shun them. Get away from them. Right? And Jesus probably shook his head and says, all right, well, let me lay out a few parables for you. And it lays out this, this one, I think, living up in a rural area, this is an advantage. We, actually, we can actually envision this. So Jesus first says, which one of you, if you have 100 sheep, and then one of them goes astray, which one of you would go out, leave the other 99 in the desert, and go after that single dumb sheep? Which one of you would leave all of your 99 and go after that one? Raise your hand. Everybody would have kept their hands down because no shepherd would do that. No shepherd would leave the 99 others and go after one single sheep. Why? Because the numbers don't make sense. Right? Because if you leave the other 99 to go after one, what's going to happen? The thieves are going to come. The wolves are going to come and kill even more sheep then. So no shepherd in his right mind, thinking numbers, will go after that one sheep. He says, good luck sheep, write them off. But if now the shepherd loves each sheep, then absolutely he goes after the other one, doesn't he? Only in love does this parable make sense. And then he lays out another one. He says, what woman now, having ten coins, losing one, but not light a lamp and sweep the whole entire house carefully until she finds it? And when she finds that one coin, it says, she calls together all of her friends and neighbors and says, come, rejoice with me. I found my one coin. Now, one coin here, this is probably the equivalent about a day's wage. So imagine a day's wage. So it's a, it's a minute amount. And then she says, Come, I found my, my day's wage. Rejoice with me. I don't know about you, but if somebody called me up and says, Father, I found my day's wage. I found my check. Come over and rejoice with me. I was like, no. Good for you, but I'm not going over your house. And rejoice. I'm, I'm glad you found your coin. But I'm not going to rejoice with you. That's, that's a dumb situation. I'm not going to leave my house to have a party with you because you found some money. Keep that to yourself. Right? But now... It makes sense, doesn't it, if she loved that coin. If she loved it with all her heart and mind. Of course, now, it isn't so much the amount, is it? But rather the fact it's been found. And then next, the most famous parable in the Gospel of Luke. 
the parable of the prodigal son. Two sons now. One son says to the father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. Now notice here, because just like in that time period as it is in ours, we only receive an inheritance when our parent dies, right? That's what happens when someone dies, our mom and our dad leave us property, money, something. Notice the son says to his father, who is still alive, give me what you owe me. Do, do, do we hear the utter disrespect in here, in this dynamic? Father, I can't wait for you to die. Hurry up and die already. I, I, can't, I can't wait for you. Just give me what you owe me. Again, as parents in here, by the way, I think as kids, we don't appreciate this. Our, as parents, what is the greatest pain that you endure? It is the rejection of your children, isn't it? When your children hurt you in some way. It, is the deep, it cuts us deep. Because we love them so much, and it's the people that love us the most that hurts us the most. Who cares if a stranger hurts us? We don't care about them. But it's precisely our own flesh and blood that hurts us the most. So again, do you hear the dynamic of the pain that this father would have felt? His son just spat in his face. Hurry up and die. And as a parent, there's no worse thing you could hear. And then we hear, we see... Often when, when one's life is all about their selfish desire, what happens? The fun runs out quickly, doesn't it? And it says here, a severe famine strikes the place where the son was living. And notice now he somehow, in, 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 his, in his pain and his suffering, he says, ah, I can go back home now. But notice he isn't motivated by love, is he? Is he? He's actually still motivated by selfishness. He says, wow, I can get a lot more food if I just go back home. Not because, oh, I mistreated my father. No. Or that I miss my sibling. No. He says, I can go so I can eat more. So this guy is still utterly selfish. Here. So he goes home now. And his father sees him. Notice what his father does. He says, so he sees his son coming in the field towards home. And his father... It says, runs to his son. Runs to him. And remember, in this culture, in the Semitic culture, which our Lord here is speaking about, men do not run. Remember that. Men do not run. People who, who are mentally suffering from a, an illness run. Children, little children run. Cowards run. We men, we do not run in this culture. It is seen as undignified. But this father, now seeing his son returning home, can't even contain himself with such joy. So he dashes out to his son. And then it says here that he embraces and kisses his son. In the original Greek, the connotation of embrace, it, it, it has the idea of, of, the, of the father picking up his son off the ground. Isn't that beautiful? You ever see those, 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 those videos sometimes? You see the, the father comes back from battle, from war, and then the little, the little toddler goes running at his father, and the father, what does he do? Picks him up, right? Twirls him in the, in the air. It's a beautiful scene. That's the connotation that the word embrace here means. He sees the son, he rushes at him, doesn't care what anybody else thinks about him, picks him up and just embraces him. 
even though this, this same son was one who rejected him. The story only makes sense in love. Because it is love now, again, that rejoices when a relationship now is restored. Now through that lens, look at Christianity. Through that lens, it's all about a loving relationship. Look at it from God's perspective. God has, there's about what, 7 billion people on earth right now? So imagine God's looking down on earth, okay, I got 7 billion of you, right? How do I get you to me? How do I get all of you back home in relationship with me? Would you, as God, leap out of heaven, come down to earth, and now take on human flesh, unite divinity and humanity? Would you now, as God, allow yourself, after taking on human flesh, to be arrested, chained, whipped, spat upon, ridiculed, punched, kicked? Now, as God, would you allow yourself to be nailed to a cross? Again, when you look at the cross, I want you to see the Roman Empire's most ingenious way to inflict the most pain on you to keep you alive as long as humanly possible so you feel every excruciating pain and to utterly humiliate you. Because remember, on every single cross, why I love the fact as Catholics that we put the full body of Jesus Christ on there. Jesus should be naked on that cross. Remember that. The only reason why we do that in Christian art, where we cover the waist of our Lord, is out of modesty. But when the Romans would do that to you, they, they stripped every ounce of clothing on you. Because they wanted to inflict not only human pain and bodily pain, but they wanted to inflict the removal of every ounce of dignity in you. So that we can walk, and they would always put the cross, by the way, on major crossroads, so more people can see you. So they can look and point and laugh at you. So more people can look at you. And so more people can fear them. If you were God, would you allow yourself to do that? Now the mystery even more deepens. Now would you allow yourself to be so vulnerable as to turn yourself into bread and wine? Be vulnerable like that in the Holy Eucharist. Again, this strange, utter teaching that this is not just simply symbolic, but it actually becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of God Himself on every single altar. Would you allow yourself to be abused? To be so small? By the way, do you know uh, the reason why the tabernacle is always locked? Because we have to protect it. Why? Because devil worshippers try to sneak into our churches and steal every consecrated host. Do you know that? Devil worshippers do that. They come and they pretend like they're Catholic and they'll receive communion and they'll secretly try to sneak the host into their pocket. That's why I don't know, by the way, if, if I'm always looking and scanning you. 
That's one of the reasons why. Because <laughs> I, I have to be mindful of what you do with the Eucharist. Because it happens. They, what they do, they, they, they take the host, they steal it, and they take it back, and they have what's called black masses. Black mass, it's they, they, they ridicule and mock the Catholic faith. And they desecrate the host in the most vilest ways. I, I can't even describe what they do to it. It is horrific what they do to the host. And they rejoice. They laugh and they mock the faith. What's utterly amazing when I think that, of course, it makes me angry. And a part of me says, Jesus, why don't you just strike them down with a bolt of lightning? Right? Just strike them down. Yeah. But he says, no, I won't do that. Because I love the devil worshipers too. Even though they utterly reject me. I will give them every opportunity to come back to me. You see, why would God allow himself to, 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 to endure such humiliation again? Look at it through the lens of love. Because only through relationship now does this, any of this make sense. If we do not penetrate that mystery, that all of this, all of this church thing that we do, if we don't recognize that it is about love, then the church will always be cold. Her teachings will always be strange. The obligation to come to Mass, to pray, will always seem sterile. But now when transformed, I look at it precisely through a loving relationship, oh, it all makes sense. My friends, it's all, all of this. And we'll learn it sooner or later. It's all about love. It's all about love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.